Welcome to the Disrupting Obesity Podcast. I'm Charlotte Skeins, and I'll be sharing ways to regain control over your body and lose an extreme amount of weight naturally. Being fat is about so much more than just the food. It's about your relationship with food. That means that dealing with your weight is about more than just the food too. You have to change that relationship. You have to start disrupting obesity. I'm angry. Not with you. It's definitely not your fault. But we need to talk about this, or at least I do, because I'm losing patience fast. And I know that I'm going to boil over if I don't start talking about this soon. Obesity and poverty have been walking hand in hand for a long time. There are connections between those two states of being on so many levels. There are charts and graphs and statistics and studies to demonstrate the ways poverty impacts obesity levels and the way being poor keeps you obese. We know there's a link. We know they're intertwined and they're not mutually exclusive, right? Lots of people who aren't poor are obese and lots of people who aren't obese are poor, but there's still a connection. And I think it's something we need to talk about more. We've got to destigmatize this. This part of the conversation absolutely has to change. I see a lot in the weight loss space. I try to tune out and turn away from as much of the horse shit that's out there as I possibly can, but sometimes it lands on my front door and it usually gets there in one of two ways. One, I'm totally good with. My door is always open for reason number one. And the other one is increasingly launching me into a blind rage. And it's increasing because of the way the first one keeps landing on my door and because it is the way the first one lands on my door. I'm getting messages almost every single day from people who are upset with themselves and believe that they can't afford to lose weight because they can't afford to buy certain foods or supplements. Oh God, the supplement people. I don't even want to let myself get into that. Okay. I'm going to try and stick with food. No, I can't. And I don't want to get sued. So I'll share this little tidbit instead. After I survived 2016, the five months in hospital, relearning how to sit and walk and yeah, walking is really hard, but learning how to sit again was just its own very particular kind of nightmare. And I didn't even know that was possible. I wasn't going to be strong enough for the surgery I needed for over eight months after I'd been home. But even before that happened, one of the doctors who saved my life, and this one tends to get a lot of the credit because the procedures he did, like literally saved it. And he did three of those procedures. Plus he took over my aftercare and he's the one who saved me again in 2022 when I had the pancreatic pseudocyst. So he's a very big deal for me. And he's a pretty big deal in the medical community too. When he pulled a sizable chunk of my dead pancreas up my throat and out of my mouth, he used a technique that he pioneered. Something else I know, but only because I heard the staff in two different hospitals talking about it when they thought I couldn't hear them. So I learned that the old way of doing the dead pancreas removal thing very likely would have killed me for sure. And I know he pulled that chunk of necrotized pancreas out of my mouth because I could see the screen when he did it. The screen was just inches from my face. And that was the day that we learned that the drugs that are supposed to make it so that you can't remember when they do crazy medical shit to you, like strap you sideways to a wall, ram tubes and cameras down your throat, and then pull out pieces of dead organs. Those meds don't work so well on me. My trauma is spelled PTSD. 
So that's a fun gamut of emotions to have to navigate, right? This massive, massive gratitude. Gratitude so big, I feel like it could swallow me whole. And I feel it for people who were essentially torturing me to save my life. So it's complicated. Okay, so all of that is to tell you that this doctor, who I've watched use cutting-edge technology to save my life, that one, he banned me from taking any supplements ever for the rest of my life, except for omegas, which are mostly just rebranded fish oil. You know how everybody's grandmas and great-grandmas grew up getting that wretched spoonful of cod liver oil? Well, yeah, guess what's in those gel caps everybody's taking now? It's a stroke of marketing genius that nobody seems to be talking about. It's like this ultimate rebrand. So it's in. Omegas, yes. Everything else in that entire section at the store is completely out for me. Now, you should also know that I'm in Canada. And the additives in our supplement industry are unregulated, which makes certain types of specialists a little bit nervous, it seems. Like the urologist who saved my life with my first surgery last summer. And then he kept me here with the second one three weeks later, him. He has also banned me from supplements of any kind. And then my nephrologist did. Now, the first one of those three doctors was plenty for me. But you need to understand that if that particular doctor asked me to stand on my head in the corner and spit nickels, I would do everything I possibly could to make that happen. When someone has saved your life, that many times. I I don't know about you, but I, I will do pretty much anything that they say. So I am not making any claims at all about supplements. I am saying that you should talk to your doctor. You should learn which ingredients are regulated in the supplements that your country allows to be sold. And this is the only thing that I'm going to say about this next bit, because I think I've already stuck my neck out probably just a tad too far. When you're looking into the claims that any supplement company is making about their product's benefits, find out who paid for the studies that they're using to back up those claims. That's it. That's it. I'm out. Totally out. Just please educate yourself. Okay. Okay. I went a little bit off-road there, so we're going to get back on track. There are two main ways that I'm running headlong into today's topic of poverty shaming and weight loss. The first is when I hear from the shamed, and the second is when the shamers show up uninvited to my party. I am so angry with the influencers who are touting diets that involve expensive foods and only expensive foods, whether it's the ones flogging fresh only or organic only or the whole food people. Please shut up. Please just stop talking. Look down from your throne of privilege at the people you're actually talking to. We can't all afford whole, organic, hand-fed, distilled water-drinking products. My chickens don't need a name, but my kids sure do need those eggs. The gall of these people shaming others who don't have the access or the funds to buy whatever the influencer has decided is acceptable. All food is processed in some way, Gladys. Even your beloved organic avocados that grow in a musical orchard have to be picked and washed through both processes. Let's not even go into the consequences of this type of monoculture, the environmental and socioeconomic impacts. We seem to get a little bit pixie and choosy 
when it comes to which issues matter and which ones don't. All food is processed. Washing it is a process. Chopping it up is a process. And I realize that a lot of the Gladyses, glad I? I'm not sure how to say that, but they're pushing back against TV dinners and the ultra processed foods that are out there. Well, I'm going to push back against that. It's not up to them. It's not their place to tell somebody what they can and can't eat. And it's all well and good to say that it's cheaper to buy whole foods and cook them yourself. There are lots of super simple recipes out there. Sure thing, Gladys, but not everybody has the cooking supplies or food storage space. And depending on where you live, you might not have access to fresh food year round or at all. Heard of food deserts, Gladys? As of July 2023, the U.S. Census had 27 million Americans dealing with food insecurity. Charities put that number closer to 35 million. But a food desert specifically is when someone doesn't have access to food because there aren't stores, there isn't transportation. And that's just in the States. There are millions of people everywhere who are suffering with food insecurity, who don't have access to healthy food that they can afford, or they just plain don't have access. I had somebody come at me for my pineapple cheesecake fluff, which is upsetting because I'm really, really fond of my pineapple cheesecake fluff. But I was ready because not only did I use Cool Whip, but I also used a sugar-free pudding mix. So I'm ringing a lot of bells here. Artificial sweeteners, processed food, seed oils, chemicals, ding-a-ling-ding, right? There's a little something for everybody. Now, this Gladys was mad for a few different reasons, but her closing volley was that for the same number of calories, I could have had almost the exact same amount of a particular low-calorie ice cream, which is fine. And her math is right. You can have pretty much the exact same amount of that exact low calorie ice cream for the same amount of calories. And I'm not naming it because it's a good product. There isn't a damn thing wrong with it, but it's also more than twice the price. And not everybody's grocery store sells high-end specialty ice creams. And I don't know anybody whose dollar store does. And there are millions of people who are doing their grocery shopping at their local dollar store because it's the only store they can get to. So I'm pissed. I'm fed up. The shaming has got to stop. People are eating what they can afford right now. Access to food is a privilege. The knowledge, tools, and the skills to cook your own food are a privilege. Having the time and energy to cook your own food is a privilege. And I'm real sorry, but though we all have the same 24 hours, people, they can go pound salt. No. We don't. There's nothing wrong with frozen food or non-organic food or processed food. Frozen food seems to take a lot of shit and I really don't get it, right? Not only is it as nutritionally sound as the fresh stuff, sometimes it's more nutritionally sound because it wasn't picked too early, sent on a massive plane, train, or boat ride, and then artificially ripened. The frozen stuff is often frozen right there where it's picked. So it's fresher than the fresh stuff, but it's cheaper. It's so much cheaper, so much more affordable than fresh. Plus the frozen stuff is a lot less likely to go bad while you're busy eating the food you actually want to eat or because you didn't choose it because you're too tired to follow your meal plan and cook it. And there's nothing wrong with the canned stuff either. I have to watch my salt, which is often added as a preservative. And I prefer fruits that are packed in water without sugar added. Tinned food is just fine. 
You also really don't have to worry about organic food. The calorie count isn't going to be impacted by whether or not pesticides were used. To the best of my knowledge, there aren't any pesticides that contain calories. Processed food is convenient, period. That's why we like it. Or at least that's a big part of why we like it. That's it, right? I understand the arguments against it. I'm aware that nutrient-dense foods are far, far and away better for you than the overwhelming majority of the ultra-processed foods out there. But I'm here to meet people where they are. And the reality is that a lot of people really enjoy ultra-processed foods. They might not be louder on social media, but they're definitely louder with their money at the grocery store because look at what's available. And yeah, there is a certain level of manipulation when it comes to the food producers and our desire to eat foods that are loaded with sugar, salt, and fat. Foods that make us feel so unbelievably satisfied on so many different levels. High fructose corn syrup is the easiest example, right? We can chart the way a food's palatability goes up as its HFC goes up too. So they're totally screwing with us when it comes to the food we eat. You know, like why do crackers or cold cuts need high fructose corn syrup in them, right? So I feel the pushback against this kind of garbagefication of our food. I really, really do. Meet people where they are. Eat what you want. Eat what you can afford. I had a woman come to me this week to tell me that she had been shamed by a weight loss influencer for eating oatmeal. Oatmeal. They called it peasant food. What in the ever-loving fuck is that? What is going on? I've seen oatmeal attacked from a few different angles, usually a carb one, sometimes a chemical one, because, you know, the organic people. But this was new. And it's outrageous. I can't, I can't believe that I actually have to be talking about this. But this whole attitude has become so pervasive. And no one should be shamed for providing food for themselves or their families. The statistics here in Canada are nuts right now. Food insecurity and food bank usage are just off the charts. In some regions, records are being smashed just month after month after month. People are having to make horrible choices when it comes to providing for their families, and it's getting worse all the time. So no one has the right to shame anybody. And I mean, share whatever you want. If your whole thing is organic omelets made from Shirley the Hen's extra delicious eggs, that's cool. Fine. But you can't lay into Eunice for her posts about oatmeal. You don't get to mandate organic omelets from on high and try to make everybody else feel like shit. You don't get to tell people that the only way to lose weight is with a diet they can't afford. It's mean. It's a lie. And shaming people for it is in really poor taste. Calories can't tell the difference between a high-end brand and a generic one. The apple that cost $4 has the same number of calories as the one that cost 50 cents. A free-range organic egg has 72 calories, just the same as any other egg. You don't have to buy expensive food to lose weight. A processed calorie from a TV dinner is the exact same as a calorie from an organic steak you marinated for three days, seared in a cast iron pan, and finished in the oven. Eat what you can afford. Worry about taking in fewer calories than your body burns. That's it. Losing a lot of weight is hard. A huge part of my goal is to make it as easy as we possibly can. 
I like doing that by eliminating barriers to weight loss and meeting people where they are. I'm also really big on kindness and gratitude. Like last week, I talked again about not needing to exercise to lose weight. And I know it makes a lot of people out there think I'm an idiot, but they're missing the bigger picture. I know exactly how beneficial exercise is. I also know that telling people to do it and why they need to do it and how wonderful it is, even though it's also really hard and can royally suck for a lot of people, telling people who are struggling with their weight to exercise doesn't work. It scares a lot of people off. It's discouraging and makes weight loss feel unattainable, which is a massive barrier to weight loss. And it doesn't need to be because you don't have to exercise to lose weight. So I keep banging that drum. You do have to sort out your food to lose weight, but only in the sense that you have to control your calories. So why are we telling people what to eat? You can lose weight eating whatever you want. And we know that's true because people all over the world are losing weight and they're all doing it by eating different foods. There is no universal eat this to lose weight set of particular foods. There's just eating whatever it is you choose to eat, but doing it in a calorie deficit. Food is everybody who's dealing with obesity's barrier to weight loss. So why make that any harder than it already is? Obesity isn't a food problem. It's a relationship with food problem. And we know that when you do nothing but focus on the food, you absolutely can and you will lose weight. We also know that when you do that, it's super likely that you're going to put the weight back on. So how about we stop focusing on the food and focus on the relationship to give ourselves the emotional space to do that and to make those relationship changes. You need to eat the foods you know and love, but do it in a calorie deficit. That's how you have the emotional space to do it. If all you're doing is thinking about how badly you wish the Brussels sprout salad you're choking down was a cheeseburger and how much you're dreading the boiled chicken breast and rice that's waiting for you at home for dinner, you don't have time to try and figure out why your relationship with food is broken. Why? You use food to comfort yourself, to help yourself cope, to reward yourself emotionally. It's really hard to do the real work of weight loss if all you're doing is trying to lose weight. The real work is in your head. So let's make it easier. Meet yourself where you are. Make small incremental changes to what you're eating. Don't listen to the noise about overhauling your whole life and throwing out everything in your kitchen. Now is not the time to reinvent the wheel when it comes to what you're eating. We're going to keep the wheel. Just slow it down a little bit tiny bits at a time. If you're used to six or eight tablespoons of salad dressing at a pop, and really good for you, because from my perspective, that's a third of what I was using when I found out how much salad dressing I was putting on things and when I finally started measuring it out. But if you're used to eight, take out one tablespoon or even half a tablespoon. You're not going to notice. And ranch is a hundred calories for two tablespoons. Yeah. And you only need a 500 calorie a day deficit. Spread, sprinkle, pour. Start there. The easiest route to finding your deficit without feeling, well, without feeling it like crazy, is just keep eating whatever you want, just less of it. And start by looking at things that you spread, sprinkle, or pour. 
peanut butter, cream cheese, mayonnaise, butter. Those are all loaded for bear with calories and they're all spreadables. Who doesn't like to sprinkle cheese or chocolate chips on their pancakes or their ice cream or actual sprinkles? Why not pour some butterscotch or maple syrup on top? Well, the maple syrup is about 50 calories a tablespoon. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, that's a lot of maple syrup. Okay. Have you seen it measured out? Have you seen what it looks like on your pancakes compared to how much you're used to eating? Hollandaise sauce has 70 calories a tablespoon and I can drown my eggs in that stuff. And that's the thing too, right? Portions are so relative. I didn't get to be 338 pounds by eating reasonable amounts of food. It's not what I was used to. So cutting back from a cup and a half of salad dressing had a significant impact for me, even as I only cut a couple tablespoons at a time. But for someone who's used to only using a couple tablespoons at a time in total, it's a very different perspective. And I realize it's not going to be salad dressing for most people, but it's something. It's probably more than one thing. It's cheese, it's hazelnut spread or guacamole. Part of meeting yourself where you are is finding your salad dressings. It's figuring out which foods are your low-hanging fruit. Those calorie-dense foods you use a lot of that you're going to be able to cut back on incrementally to get yourself into a deficit. You don't have to switch to quinoa and kale. You just have to start making small changes, looking at the things that you spread, sprinkle, and pour. I did a whole episode. Guess what it's called? spread, sprinkle, pour. It's number 17 and we'll pop a link in the notes. I also did an episode called comfort, reward, and cope. I think those are the roots of emotional eating. When you're eating other than to nourish your body, you can usually tie it back to one of those three things. That was episode five and we'll drop a link for that too. Shut down the shame. You're doing your best and it's enough. And remember too, that this is relative. Everything is. But here, I'm specifically referring to money. Someone who grew up in poverty may be better equipped to deal with food insecurity than someone who's never had to deal with it before and suddenly finds themselves in a position where they're not so sure when it comes to food. It's relative. If you've always bought organic whole foods and suddenly you can't afford it anymore and you're looking at sections of the grocery store or even in whole new grocery stores that you didn't know existed, that's really hard especially if there are kids involved. Don't beat yourself up just because you're not relying on a food bank like some people are either. Things could always be worse and hard is hard, period. Everybody's doing the best they can with what they have right now. So it's very all right to lose weight eating whatever food you can afford and that you enjoy eating. And it's even more all right to shut down the food shamers. Don't listen, it's all relative. If you're looking for some help on your way, I've created a couple of resources for you. The first is my free guide to getting started for the last time, and I've dropped a link in the notes. The second is my brand new weight loss workbook, Disruptor, and you can find a link for it in the caption too. If you're watching this on my new YouTube channel, thank you so very much. Please don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss any of the new episodes that are coming out. And in the meantime, keep trying, keep tracking, don't be intimidated and don't give up. You've totally got this. Thank you for listening to Disrupting Obesity with Charlotte Skeynes. If you know it's time to take back control, lose the weight and keep it off, 
reach out to me privately with a direct message on Instagram that says ready so you can start disrupting obesity.